All right, y'all ready to do this one more time? All right, hey, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn it back to Matthew chapter 7. I know we've been here a couple times this week, but this is where I want to finish. Did y'all like that movie? That was like a full-length feature film, y'all. That's, can we just give it up for the Hume staff for the amount of time and effort that they put into that? That's awesome. I love that. I love that. I love the creativity of Hume that takes a story of Daniel and packages it in such a fun way for us to, to dive into and to, to take a lot away from. Hey, so Matthew chapter 7, what we want to talk about tonight is what does it look like to take this thing home? Right? Whether you like it or not, tomorrow morning you'll get on a bus and you'll go back home. Right? And for some of you, that's exciting, right? For all of my friends that you raised your hand and you said, I, my bed is like my happy place, it's coming, okay? It's coming for you. And so uh, for some of you, that's really exciting. For some of you, you might be dreading going home. For some of you, you're going home to uh, maybe if you made a decision this week and, and uh, whether it was a first-time decision to give your life to Jesus, to surrender your life to him, and you're going home as a son or a daughter of the king of the universe for the very first time, or maybe you stood for a moment of repentance, some of you are going home to really supportive environments. Right? And, and you're going to go home, and your mom and dad are going to ask you, how was it? Right? And my challenge to you, Hume Lake Ponderosa, is don't do what every other high school student does, that when your parents pick you up from a week of you're gone at camp, and they're like, how, how was it? And you go good or fine. Hey, don't do it. Okay. When your parents ask you like, Hey, how was camp? Would you just shock them? Would you, would you shock them by going like, Hey, mom and dad, or Hey, aunt and uncle, or Hey, grandma and grandpa, whoever it is that picks you up and just going, hey, man, camp, here's something I learned at camp. Here was a takeaway. Here's a friend I made. Here's a cool conversation that we had. Like, would you just, would you give them, even if it's like a 90 second recap of something you learned, of some takeaway that you had, right? For a lot of you, maybe your church uh, helped you get here financially. Maybe your parents or your grandparents or an aunt and uncle helped pay for you. Maybe you would find that person. You would look them in the eyes and you would just say, hey, thanks for going to camp. Here's something I learned. Here's something I took away. Watch your parents' jaw. Watch it just drop. Okay, and hit the floor. Like most, I'm a high school pastor, so I work with students all the time, and we'll get to the end of one of our camps and I'll be like, hey, how was camp? And they're like, great. Wow, tell me more, right? I'm riveting. So would you go home? Would you, would you process this? And some of you are going home to really, really helpful, healthy, encouraging environments. But the reality is for others of you, uh, maybe you're going home to an environment that uh, maybe your parents or your grandparents or your aunt and uncle, whoever it is that you find yourself living with right now, maybe, maybe they're not believers. Maybe they don't follow Jesus. And maybe you're going home to a little bit of a hostile environment. And maybe this week would be an example for you of not just what it looks like to live in your high schools or your sports teams or your friend groups with resilience, but maybe in your own household. Maybe with your parents, with your siblings, as you now enter into a, a space that might feel like exile, that the way that you now desire to do life is in direct contrast to the way that you see your family doing life, or your sports team doing life, or your high school doing life. And so tonight we want to unpack and, and, and talk about what does God's word have to say about living with resilience, 
of taking this thing home, right? One of the best things you can possibly do is every sermon you hear, every life group you sit in, every podcast you listen to, just ask these two questions, or sorry, these two words, this one question. So what? So what? And I don't mean like a sassy so what, right? I don't mean like anytime your pastor preaches a message, you just walk up and go like, so what, right? Like that's not what I mean. I mean for you personally, it's way too easy as a follower of Jesus to just like attend church, to like take in a message or take in a podcast or take in a life group and go like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, good. That was so good. And I, I would challenge you to go, so what? How, I, how, why does this actually matter? This, is this actually going to make a difference in your tomorrow? Would you attend church on Sunday in a way that it makes a difference on Monday? Like, would you have a, a, a faith on a Wednesday night when you go to youth group that makes a difference on a Thursday morning as you attend school? This summer, would your life look different because of this week at Hume? So we've read this countless times this week, but I just want to read it one last time. In light of what we've been talking about all week, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, who's talking here? Jesus, good. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man or is like the wise woman who built their house on the what? On the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man or the foolish woman who built their house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew up against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, all week we've been unpacking this story of who is your foundation, Where is your identity found? In whom are you placing your trust and your hope for your life? But friends, can I just let you in on a little secret? That's not a one-time decision. That that can't just be a a, a once-upon-a-time thing in your rearview mirror. This has to be something that we daily go, Jesus, today I put my hope and my trust in you, that you are my foundation And if your trust is in him and in what he says, then your hope is also found in him. See, we lost a great in the the Christian world uh, recently. His name was Timothy Keller, and he was an author and a speaker. And uh, I, I, I legitimately, as I was processing tonight's message with my wife, we were talking about Tim Keller and the life that he lived and the legacy that he had. And in his last days, uh, sitting on his deathbed, the, the, the tweets that were going out or the, the Instagram posts about Tim Keller's life and how he finished his life, and he finished so well. And he said, thank you for the prayers, and I'm, I'm so thankful for my family that loves me and that's here for me, but he said, I cannot wait to go home to see Jesus. And to live with that kind of resilience for that long, over the course of your entire life, to consistently Wake up and go, today my hope and my home is in Jesus. My trust is in him and what he says, and therefore my hope is in him. And I love the way Tim Keller said this about the gospel, said this about the rock that we are to hear these words of Jesus and put them into practice. That rock is the good news of the gospel we talked about last night. He said this. He said, the gospel is this. We are far more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe 
Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. See, I, I, I love this perspective shift because if we're not careful, friends, I think we can consistently start to kind of believe, like, I'm not that bad. And if we fall into this trap of going, I'm not that bad because we're comparing ourselves to the people around us, and if we're not that bad, then what we're really saying is, God, you're not that good, and your gospel was not necessary. Your sacrifice wasn't necessary. And I love the reminder from a guy like Keller that says the gospel is this, that we are far more flawed than we ever dared imagine, and yet we are far more loved and accepted in the person of Jesus. And tonight, I just wanna challenge you, Hume, Ponderosa, would this be a treasure? See, if you, if you turn a few pages uh, in the book of Matthew over to Matthew chapter 13, it says this in verse 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. See, the rock that we would build our life upon because our trust is in Jesus, would this not be a have to, but would it be a get to? Would we... uh, we take a hold of this rock on a daily basis and go, this is like a treasure that in my joy, I would leave behind everything else. And in my joy, I would lean into who this God is and this life that he has for me. See, Jim Elliott, we talked about him earlier this week, but he was one of the five missionaries that was martyred down in Ecuador. Uh, he was trying to reach this Wadani tribe, and, and we, we found his journals since he passed, and he's, they've, they've been published by his wife and a handful of other people, and in his journals, he said this. He said, he is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which you cannot lose. So you're gonna go down the hill to a world, to a culture that you're surrounded by that says, this is success. Would you find your identity in this? Would you chase after her? Would you find Mr. Right? See, you're gonna gonna go down the hill to a world that's, that's loud and that's busy and your phone's gonna blow up as soon as you get back into service and you're gonna be reminded of all the things you were wrestling with before a week at Hume. And my hope is that you would go back to Matthew chapter 7 and you go back to Matthew chapter 13 and go, the gospel is going to be this treasure that in my joy, I gladly leave behind everything else to lean into it. Okay, so turn now to Daniel chapter 9. This is going to be the last place that I have you turn. And we're just going to look at this prayer of Daniel at the end of his life. Daniel chapter 9. And all week long, uh, we, we've seen this in the story of Daniel. The first message we talked about in here was uh, something I've already said tonight, but the, the very first thing we talked about this week is that our hope and our home can be in heaven if we put our trust in Jesus. Like that we, we pick up our gaze from the circumstance of just the things around us and go, my sights are not set just right here in front of me. My sights are set not on, on the, the comfort of the world around me or the trial that I'm currently finding myself in, but I'm going to set my sights that my hope in my home is in heaven. Right? That Lewis said that if, we've, if we find in this world that nothing seems to satisfy, maybe, just maybe, we were made for another world. 
And don't settle for the little things right here, right in front of you that might be immediate gratification. They're the Coco Melon toys that we go, that's kind of exciting. Don't settle. Would you put your hope in your home in heaven? And then the, the second thing we talked about was that we can live in view of eternity, that because we know how the story ends. I remember Tom Brady in the third quarter, and me and my buddy sitting and just watching this game, and me just going, <laughs> just wait. That when you find yourself in a trial that you might currently be in, or the one that you're walking into as you get down the hill, or six months from now, or a year and a half from now, in the midst of that trial, would you know that you can confidently say, my trust and my hope is in him, so I can stand in the middle of this. I'm not saying it's any less easy. Right? God doesn't say, follow me, and I'm going to make your life easy. It's all going to be rainbows and butterflies. He says, follow me, and I'll make it, it'll be worth it. Because our hope is in him. So in the midst of that trial, in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that pain, we keep our eyes on him. The third thing we talked about was that we need to expect those trials. Right? John chapter 16 says, uh, Jesus is talking to his guys, and he says, in this world you will have trouble. Right? He says, in this world you will have trouble. But then he finishes that sentence with, take heart. I've overcome the world. He says, in this world, when you look around you, when you go throughout your life, take heart. And I loved that we got to unpack this Isaiah chapter 6 God. Do you remember this? Right? The, the angels, the seraphim that are flying in the presence of God, and with two wings, they're covering their face. With two wings, they're covering their feet. And they're just crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We looked at Revelation chapter 19 where Jesus rides down on his horse with fire in his eyes and a name tattooed on him that nobody knows but himself. He's got an, an army behind him. That's the God that stands with you in your trial. That when you go home to the hard things in life and you try to stand up on your own and you go, rawr, rawr. you by yourself you're not that impressive. And you by yourself are gonna stand up in the middle of your trial and you're gonna get dominated by that trial. But you have a God that stands behind you. If you've seen this scene where Mufasa rolls in and he roars and the hyenas take off running, would you confidently walk down the hill or would you confidently fly back to Hawaii? Would you f confidently go down that hill on that bus, find yourself at home and go, I don't walk through life alone anymore. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. That's the Jesus that goes with you. And then last night, we talked about a, a salvation, a gospel, not only what we are saved from, but what we are saved into. That, I love that Mikey said this in his wrap-up last night. He said, it's not just that Jesus forgave your sins. right? When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just like, hey, I forgive you. That when he resurrected from the dead to prove that he could make dead things alive, 2 Corinthians 5 says that in the greatest exchange of all time, we gave him our sin and he gave us his righteousness. That we are now right with God in the same way that Jesus, his son, is right with God. And Romans chapter 8 says we are adopted into his family with the full rights that come as a son or a daughter. Y'all, would we leave this week changed? But Hume, can I, can I tell you something? Can I tell you what my greatest fear is for you? 
In my 10-ish years of being a pastor now, my greatest fear for you is not that you're going to go home and that you're going to watch some YouTube video or that you're going to have some conversation with some person that's smarter than me, or you're going to uh, find like a, a whole stream on TikTok of things that say, like, here's the 10 reasons that the Bible contradicts itself, or here's why Christianity isn't real, or here's why Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. Like, he wasn't really dead. He just played pretend, and then uh, the disciples stole his body. My greatest fear for you is not that you're going to come up with some sort of evidence that's going to disprove Christianity. Hey, like I'm being real with you. I turned 31 years old next week, and I, on my 31st birthday, 10 years into ministry, I promise you this. If you disprove the resurrection, if you come up with some solid evidence that disproves the resurrection of Jesus, I walk away from the church. Christianity is not real if you can disprove the resurrection. See, Christianity is not some philosophical ideology. It's not some like sage wisdom on how to live your life. Christianity is based in a historical event. The resurrection of Jesus. That you had 11 guys that ran away terrified when Jesus resurrected. And then something changed and all 11 of those guys will go to their death defending the gospel. It says that Jesus showed up to some 500 people after he resurrected. That there is evidence after evidence after evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. So if you're sitting in here and you're still wrestling, you're still struggling, look at the resurrection. This isn't Hume Lake going, here's some great ideas on how to live. Here's, a, here's some philosophy on life. It's a historical event. And my greatest fear for you is not that you're going to disprove Christianity. Do you know what my greatest fear for you is? It's that you're going to settle for some mediocre version of following Jesus. In my 10 years as a pastor now, uh, I, I haven't one time had a conversation with a student who was a follower of Jesus and then came up to me and said, hey, because of this evidence, I can't ignore this. I'm walking away from the church because of this. I haven't had that conversation. But I've had countless conversations of students that just kind of go, eh, I just kind of stopped going to church. I just got busy. Sports got in the way. I just, you know, I started hanging out with this group or I started dating her. Or I started dating him, right? And you get boyfriended or you get girlfriended and your, your priorities start to shift and change. And then you slowly just settle into this mediocre version of Jesus. And when Jesus promises, follow me and you'll have life and life abundant, my greatest fear for you is that you're going to miss that life and life abundant because you're just settling. So in Daniel chapter 9, I love this prayer. Read this with me in, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 15. He says, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and we have done wrong. Notice how he's structuring this prayer. God, who brought us out of Egypt, this is who you are in your character. This is who you've been. You're trustworthy, and this is who we are. A reminder that we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, and your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear these prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of, of this city that bears your name. 
We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. I love the honesty of this prayer. Now 70 years into exile, as an 80-something-year-old, he's lived resiliently his entire life, and yet he's still wrestling with God. Hume Ponderosa, would you hear that as an encouragement? You don't have to go down the hill and put on a big old smile on your face and be the good Christian that goes, hey, brother, how you doing today? And like being a Christian is just like happy and smiley all the time, and you're like having a hard day, and you're like, shoot, this isn't the Christian thing to do. Friend, Daniel, 70 years into exile, wrestles with God in prayer, going, God, would you remember your people? Would you move? Would you respond? I don't understand this. I'm wrestling with this. The amount of you that have come up to me with some sort of question this week is, is like incredible to me. And my answer to most of you has been like, hey, let's talk about this, but keep wrestling. The worst thing you can do is just settle. The best thing you can do as a high school student right now, the best thing you can do as a leader in this room, as a youth pastor in this room, is to keep wrestling with God. The second we start to think we have this God figured out, my fear is, is that we settle for a lesser version than the treasure in that field that we joyfully leave everything else behind to chase on a daily basis. Okay, so how do we do this? Right? How do we live this thing out? How do we not settle? And I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about four things. Okay? Four kind of pillars of things that we've been doing all week long that I want to encourage you to continue to do. I love the promise of John chapter 16, verse 7. You ever read the Bible, y'all? You ever like open up the Bible and read, read a verse and you're like, mm, mm-hmm, wait, what? Did that ever happen to you? This is one of those verses for me. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus is with his guys. In John chapter 1, verses 12, the, the author of John sets up like this is who Jesus is. And then in John chapter 13, he turns the corner and he spends like four chapters just in one night of Jesus' life. And John's whole purpose in writing his gospel was not to tell you about his miracles or about like specific dates and times of things happening. John's whole purpose in writing, he says it in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, I write these things down so that you might believe and that through believing, you would have life in Jesus's name. And so he writes this about Jesus in John chapter 16, verse seven. It's Jesus and his guys and they're talking and, he, and Jesus looks at his guys and he says this. He says, it's better for you that I go away. And when I first read that, I went, mm, mm-hmm, wait, huh? Because here's, here's the thing, right? Like y'all's youth pastors are awesome. I've gotten to hang out with a lot of them this week. Like they're, this is a legit group of youth pastors. But let's keep it real. If youth group this week, like your Instagram post went up or like wherever you find your information about youth group, like their website or you just hear word of mouth and it's like, yo, this week at youth group, Jesus of Nazareth is speaking, right? Like if that was the announcement, like you wouldn't be like, mm, kind of tired from camp, right? Like you, there's, there's a 0% chance you're missing that youth group if it's like, hey, Jesus is in town. You're not like, well, we'll see, if I, we'll see if something better comes up. You're going, right? And not only are you going to that youth group, like you're probably gonna wait in line afterwards because you're like, I have a couple of questions. 
Like you walk up to him with your Bible and you're like, Mr. Nazareth, um, can, can we, like I have a few questions about what you did and what you said and why you did it. Like if I could sit down over a cup of hot black coffee with Jesus and be like, can we just chat? Do you know how cool that would be? And Jesus has the audacity to say, it's better for us. It's better for his disciples that he's not here in the flesh. And I look at that and I go, huh? And it's because of the second part of the verse. He says, it's better for you that I go away because I'm sending someone. See, John chapter 14, he spends a bunch of time talking about this advocate that he's gonna give us the Holy Spirit, that those of you who gave your life to, the, to Jesus for the very first time last night, that you surrendered to him, you became his son, you became his daughter, those of you in this room that you've done that before in the past, the, the Bible promises that God dwells within those that have surrendered to him, that he lives within us, that the power of the Holy Spirit goes before us convicts us where we need to be convicted, reminds us where we need to be reminded. So as you go down the hill, with the first thing you know be that you don't go down alone. When you open up your Bible, you don't do so alone. When you worship, you don't do so alone. That God dwells with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I love what he says in John chapter 17, verse three, just a, a, a one chapter over, he defines eternal life. See, there's a lot of things in scripture that are gray areas, but there's other things that are like pretty black and white. And I love when Jesus defines things. See, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse three, he says, this is eternal life, that they would know God and Jesus who he sent. That eternity is not a someday thing, Eternity is not like you die and go to heaven and then eternity starts. Wait, the moment you give your life to Jesus, eternity starts. And eternity is getting to know God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we daily, in step, get to know this God? And how do we daily continue through the power of the Holy Spirit go, I want to increase my understanding of eternity and have my eyes set on eternal things. Uh, anybody really good with directions in here? Really? I like this one. Can we go with this one, right? I love the honesty of this. It's like, eh, like I get lost a lot, but like I'll, I'll raise my hand, okay? What's your name? Clara. Clara. Okay, Clara. If I were to um, set a coordinate for you, right, and I'm gonna take, like I took like a red flag and I, I placed it at a coordinate and then I gave you directions to get to that, right? Claire, do you play any, do you do any like board sports? Like surfing, snowboarding? Ski kind of, I love this. I kind of do directions and I kind of ski, okay? That's good, okay? Um, anybody do board sports in here? Okay, board sport friends. Help my friend Clara out, okay? And Clara, you, you might know this because you look smart, okay? But what is this called? A 180, right? Okay, what is this called? Okay, what is this called? No, I'm just kidding. That's all I got. Okay, so these are, that, these are degrees in a circle. Good, okay? You guys are smart. So, Clara, if I give you directions and I set coordinates out and I just I, I dropped a red flag... Uh, let's say, let's just start off with 100 yards, right? Football field away. And I, I dropped a red flag at the end of a, a, a football field, 100 yards away. And I gave you coordinates on how to get there. And then I just set you off course one degree, okay? 
By the time you got to that red flag, if you were one degree, just one teensy-weensy degree off, you would miss my red flag by about five feet, okay? Not a big deal, right? You walk the 100 yards, you're five feet off, right? You lay down and go, there it is, right? And you go five feet away, no big deal, 100 yards. Now, if we just stretch it out a little bit, and I will, okay, now, Clara, I'm going to take this red flag, I'm going to plant it a mile away. And then I'm going to set you one degree off. And then you go on your way to the red flag. By the time you got to your location, one degree off from where you started, you would miss that red flag by 92 feet. Now, if Paige and I were like, hey, Clara, here's directions. We're going to put a red flag in my driveway in San Diego. Okay? And we're going we're to have you leave from here, from Hume Lake Christian Camps, and we're going to have you drive the 386 miles that it is from Hume all the way to my driveway. And I'm going to plant a big red flag in my driveway. And then I set you just, just, just to kind of mess with you, because you're with directions, okay? I just set you one degree off. By the time you traveled the 386 miles to my house in Fallbrook, California, you would miss my house by six miles. One degree is starting to make a difference. Now... If we were just going to have a whole lot of fun, and I planted a big red flag right here in Ponderosa Chapel, and I set you on the greatest road trip of all time to go all the way around the world, back to Hume. But just for kicks and giggles, I set you one degree off before you left Hume on your way back to Hume. On your way around the world, just being one degree off. Hey, 359 right, one degree wrong. One degree off, you would miss Hume by 435 miles and end up somewhere south of Tijuana. You need a passport for that one. You're way off. Now, if we were just to get crazy, and I went up to space, and my friend Elon Musk helped me out, and I just took a red flag and I planted it on the moon, and I said, Clara, you ever wanted to go to space before? And I put you in a rocket ship, But right before the rocket ship took off, I just, one degree, one degree off. Do you know you would miss the moon by 4,169 miles? You're not even close. One degree. Y'all, as you drive down the mountain, as you go down the hill, one degree matters. See, if you go down the mountain and you just make some one degree compromises this week, do you know what's going to happen one week from now? Not a whole lot. Your life won't look that different. If you make some one-degree compromises in your life um, with that girl or with that guy or with your friend group or with your internet history, if you make some one-degree compromises with how you talk to the people around you, with how you complain, with how much you're opening up your Bible versus how much you opened it up at Hume, with how much you're listening to worship music. If you just make some one-degree decisions, not much is going to change in the first month. But a year from now, a year and a half from now, I promise you, you're going to start to see some differences. Okay, so four things that will help you get one degree back on. Any bowlers in the house? Anybody like bowling? Okay, I feel like it's bowling's having a comeback. I don't know why, right? All my high school students love it, okay? So anybody bowl with bumpers? Where are my bumper people at? Hey, right? I like bowling with bumpers, but not because it's helpful to keep it in. I like seeing how many times I can hit it between the two things, right? Like I line up like this, right? I'm like, like I want to see that sucker like ding, 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 all the way down, okay? So 
these four things, they're kind of like bumpers that when you go one degree off, these things are gonna help you get back on track, okay? So the first one is this, and please write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, the Bible. Big shocker, okay? Number one, bumper number one, these four things will keep you on track, God's word. And I said this earlier this week, and I've said it a couple of times, but I firmly believe this is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. But if we're not careful, we can open this thing up and go, ah, it's too confusing. I don't get it. Y'all seen the movie Avengers, the end game? Yeah. Seen that movie? Okay. Um, I, I believe there's two types of people. There's Marvel people, and then there's like Marvel people. Okay. <laughs> My, uh, our young adults group went to see Endgame, the Avengers, in theaters when it first came out. And I was like, sure, I'll tag along. And so I went and I sat down next to one of my buddies, Sean. And we're watching this movie and confession, your boy hasn't seen all the other Marvel movies, okay? I know, I know. Those are the, the people that all went, oh, are the Marvel people, okay? The rest of us, Marvel people, right? It's like, no, cool, like those are good movies. And then there's other people that are like, how dare you? So I'm sitting next to my buddy Sean and we're watching the movie. And in the movie, there's the, uh, the bad guy, Thanos, Thanos. Golly, I'm so sorry, okay. Thanos, uh, he's got like the rings and whatever. Okay, and so Thanos, he takes, he takes his ax and he's like pressing his ax against Thor's chest. Y'all remember this scene? And he's like, He's like pressing it, like, and I'm watching the scene, I'm like, dang, that bad dude's about to win. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, like it's like some hammer hits him, and then the camera does this like beautiful pan up and over his shoulder. It's like, catches the hammer, and it's blue spandex boy, Captain America, right? And he catches it, and the whole movie theater, when Captain America caught the hammer, the whole movie theater lost their minds. Except me. And I was sitting there and I was like, what, what am I, I, I literally, I looked, at my, I looked at my buddy Sean, and by the way, my buddy Sean is like a Marvel person, okay? And I, I look at my buddy Sean and I'm like, bro, like what just happened? And he gave me the dirtiest look a human being can, like he looks at me and he goes, seriously? And I was like, what, what? And he goes on to explain to me, he's like, dude, that hammer, like that's Thor's hammer. No one can yield that hammer unless they're worthy, right? And like that hammer, it has a name and on the side of it, its name is Jonathan, right? And it's like that hammer, like if even Hulk tried to pick it up and when he tried to pick it up, his feet sink into the asphalt and like it's no, unless you're worthy, blah, blah, blah. So Captain America by catching it is like, he's worthy. And I was sitting there and I was like, cool, <laughs> right? Like, neato, right? Like I... I didn't get it. Why did I not get it? Because I haven't seen the other movies. I don't know the context. So by the time all the characters came together, I was like, this is a great movie. Like the visual effects are awesome. But I missed so much of the context and the backstory. And friends, if I'm being honest with y'all, I think any student I've ever talked to that opens up the Bible and goes like, I just don't get it. I think it's kind of boring, it's confusing. It's because you're like me that doesn't know the backstory. You don't know the context. And so my encouragement to you, would, we, would you start to open up the Bible? Would you find a group of friends around you or a leader and go, I wanna open up the Bible and understand contextually the greatest story that's ever been told, Genesis to Revelation. See, when you start reading the Bible like that, 
you'll pick up nuances in the Old Testament that Jesus references, and you'll start hearing things that you'll be like, wait, what? Seriously? Read the Bible in its context. It's not enough to just take like Philippians 4.13 and put it on a mug and go like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and be like, that's my Christianity. The only problem with that is that's not what that verse means. Read the Bible in its context, okay? Number two, okay, the second pillar that as you go down the hill, these are your, your bowling bumpers, okay? Your bowling bumpers are this. Uh, number one is the Bible. Number two is prayer. Hey, prayer, it, it, I love this definition. My, 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 a good dear friend of mine named Megan, she defined prayer like this. She said, prayer is spending time with the person who loves you the most. I love this. And it's, to be honest with you, it's one of the things that's hardest for me. I struggle to just sil- to sit in stillness and silence. I struggle with this communication that a lot of the times feels one way, but I love the image of spending time with the person that loves me the most. Would we make prayer a regular practice in our life? Number three, each other, okay, each other. There's some 150-something one-anothers in the New Testament. You cannot do this Christian walk alone. It's impossible, okay? Uh, if the, the, the Bible says that the, the devil is roaming around like a lion, just ready to devour, okay? It's, it says that we have a very real enemy and he wants to trip you up. He wants to, to, to let you believe the lies that you're all alone when you go down the hill, okay? Can I just like, will you just level with me for a second? Like I live in San Diego. San Diego Zoo is like one of the greatest zoos in America. It's insane, okay? Wherever you are, I'm sure you have some sort of like slightly lesser zoo, but it's still a zoo, okay? But if you got home, and the headlines in your hometown read, uh, like, hungry, ravenous lion got taste for human, escaped zoo. If you read that headline, you wouldn't walk out your front door the next day just like, so good to be home, right? You wouldn't do it, right? You'd walk out your front door like this. You'd be like, you'd be like, call on the phone with your homie, like, have you seen the lion? Like, you'd be, like, asking your neighbor, like, Sharon, you're like, is there a lion out there? Like, you, we would walk aware if there was a lion prowling around our town with a taste for human. We would walk with this awareness. And I'm not saying you have to go home and walk in constant fear of the devil, right? Remember? Like, you got the real lion behind you. Like the the war is over, God has won, he has conquered, and yet way too many of us, we try to walk through life alone, and you need your church community. You need your youth group. You need a mentor. You need to lean into your youth pastor. I promise you, there's there's not a counselor in this room right now that if you on your way home just went like, hey, do you think we could start meeting up regularly? Like I have some things I want to process. There's not a counselor in this room that would go, hmm, no. Right, like the counselors, can I, just, can I just be super honest with you, y'all? The counselors in this room, they didn't come to Hume for a week because they need more 15-year-old friends. That's not why they're here, okay? And if they are here for that, like, that's another, like, we can talk about that. But, like, that's, they're not. They're not. You want to know why they're here? 
Your counselors are here because Jesus changed their life and they now are turning around to the next generation going, can I, can I talk to you about the Jesus that changed my life and I'm now, I will never be the same because of that Jesus and I wanna see that Jesus transform your life too. Amen. That's why they're here. You need one another. And the last one is this. Hey, the last one is worship through music. Hey, worship through music. And I say specifically worship through music because we said this the other night, worship is not something you do, it's something you are. And so we can worship in a variety of different ways. We can worship through community and we can worship through uh, times of fun and laughter. We can go out to recreation and worship through recreation. But I think there's a very specific reason worship through music is important. Hey, if I asked you guys, um, if I asked anyone in this room, right, I just walked up to you and I said, give me the ABCs. There is not a human in this room that would go A, B, C, D, right? Like, I, it wouldn't happen. If I asked you, hey, what are the ABCs? We would all say, okay, right? We would sing it. Why? Okay, because when we're kids, right, like everything is set to songs. You ever heard a song? You ever heard a song before that you haven't heard in like a really long time, but you like, you know every word to it? You know, like, the, like music has this power that's insane. Like half of Piper's toys are all set to music, right? You saw one of them last night. Like, like a bunch of Piper's toys are all, because when a kid is young and their brain is malleable and they're soaking in all this information, the amount of things that we can learn through music is nuts. Right? Like I can't tell you the amount of times I've like woken up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and she has this little like otter, it's like a Christmas otter, and for whatever reason, that thing is out 365 days a year, right? Like, it's not just Christmas time. And this Christmas otter, if you press its foot, right, you press its foot, like you, whoop, it goes, ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks and, you know that song, right? So the amount of times I've been, like, walking groggily to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and I'll kick that otter, I'll kick some other toy, and it's like, kick, and it's like, ooh, and I'm like, demons, right? Like, it, it's terrifying. But there's... There's something about music that my little girl, like when she learns a song, like she can teach my wife and I a song. Like we were driving home the other day. She was like, have you heard this song? She taught us an entire song. I'm like, how do you remember this stuff? Y'all, what would it look like if you went home and you just downloaded worship Spotify music playlists and that was what you had on when you had your AirPods in? When you're driving, when you're going on your way, would you just make worship through music a regular pattern of your life? Hey, the things that you and I get stuck in our head all the time are most of the time nonsense, right? What if the thing that you had stuck in your head was the truth of God's word about who he is and in light of who he is, who you are? So if you wanna go home and have a recipe for success to be resilient in this day and age, what does it look like to follow Jesus, make God's word, prayer, one another, and worship through music a regular pattern of your life? My greatest fear for you is that you settle. The way that you don't settle is that you lean into these four things and go today, tomorrow, this week, next week, this month, I'm gonna walk with Jesus regularly. Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to lean in. God, that that's an invitation that you give us that I love the way Galatians 5 says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. 
that there is this battle going on between flesh, flesh and spirit, that they're they are intentionally trying to trip one another up. And yet, God, we are invited to walk by the spirit, the power of your spirit. God, would you raise up mighty men and women out of this room that take following you seriously, that take discipleship seriously, that desire to be learners. God, would we go down this hill not just being moved by you, but being transformed by you? Would we not just have a, a fun week or a fun experience of you, God, but would we be forever changed because of your gospel? We love you, Father. It's your name we pray. Amen.